All right, now the ushers are going to be distributing a sheet that we began last Sunday on uh, the subject of uh, being a good steward of your pastor. Now, that's something I've never preached on in 39 years, but as most of you know, I'm going to be stepping aside as the pastor here uh, next April, and uh, Chris Barron will be taking my place. As uh, the lead pastor, I'll still be here as pastor emeritus and pastor at large with the church plants. And also I plan, my wife and I plan on dying here as members of the Faith Bible Baptist Church. Maybe not dying here, but uh, when we die, we hope that we'll still be. Well, there's James. How you doing, Brother James? Serving our country in the Air Force down in... Alabama, Huntsville, good to have you with us today. Didn't mean to miss anybody. but uh. So if you could take your Bibles today and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And so I'm not preaching this for myself, I'm preaching this to you as a congregation members and how to take care of pastors. We've been blessed. Uh, I just got to review real quick what we said last week. And then we're up to number five today on your notes. Uh, up this, uh, these are notes that pa- uh, Brother Mike O'Mara taught at a men's fellowship we were at in Bath, New York a few weeks ago. And if you don't like them, you can blame Mike. But Mike will pass the buck and say that he got them from borrowed sources too. Uh, so, uh, but... Uh, this is something that's not taught much, and as a result, we, we uh, sometimes lose good pastors because congregations don't know how to be good stewards of the pastor God gave them. Now, last week I started by giving you three verses uh, in the Bible, uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 15, Ephesians 4, verse 11, and Psalm 65 and verse 4 that tells us God gives us pastors. God gives us pastors, all right? If they're truly called of God, they, have, they are a gift to you from God. Now, if God gives you a car, it would be wise to be a good steward of your car, all right? So it can serve you a long time. If God gives you a house, it would be wise if you were a good steward of your house so it can last a long time. If God gives you a wife, it would be good for you to be a good steward, intentionally trying to be a good steward of the wife God gave you uh, on purpose. If God gives you a husband, it would be good for you to be a good steward of him on purpose, intentionally, every day trying to be a good steward of your husband. If God gives you children, if God gives you children, Uh, you need to be a good steward of those children. Those children are a gift from God. They really don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. And the Lord's going to come calling for them someday. And He has something special for them to do in their lives. But until then, you should be a good steward of them. And bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and try to make sure they're saved and in church and in the Bible, maybe have devotions at home, pray with them, those types. But eventually, you're going to give them back to the Lord. I hope. That's the plan. But if you have children, you want to be good stewards of your children. Anything God gives you. If God has given you money, 
Be a good steward of your money. Let that money be your friend and serve you and not your enemy. Uh, that where you end up being a slave to it. And that's, the Bible says it's one or the other. People are slaves, servants to money, and they're in debt, and they spend all their life and energy serving money. But if it's your friend and you're, you're wise with it, you tithe and you give offerings and you invest and you save and you pay your bills and all those things, money can be your friend. But you've got to be a good steward of what you have. So the point is, if God has given us pastors, then we should intentionally be good stewards of your pastor. And, uh, but a lot of times people don't know how to do that, just like a lot of, sometimes marriages break up because they just don't know. They, they, they could have been saved with a little counsel, a little bit of knowledge before they got married, if they knew what they were doing. I believe that. And a lot of pastors, I think, would have stayed in churches. The average pastor stays four years. The average assistant pastor, three years. Pew Research Center, we brought that out. Get last week's sermon for this introductory stuff. So we want to be good, good stewards of pastors. I've never preached on this in 39 years, okay? But, but I'm trying to prepare this congregation for when Pastor Chris takes over. Chris is, will be 38 years old by then, Okay. God's blessed our churches. We planted three other churches. Pastor Lewis, God gave us him to take Hilltop Baptist Church. Pastor Ben Shutt, I think he's 36 maybe. He's a pastor uh, doing a good job at Countryside. We had over 40 there again Thursday night. Another visitor came almost every week. It's just been amazing to watch God build his church. We got the Brightway Baptist Church in Cataraugus. Uh, Pastor Brent Gullo is, is trying to sell his house down in uh, Jacksonville and tie up some loose ends. Come and be the pastor there. He, he's to me, he's young. He's probably forty, and Pastor Lewis forty. I don't know, forty-three, forty-five. But these are young men to me. Okay. But the neat thing to me, I said last last week, is that I think all of them have the potential of being here for at least twenty-five years. In those offices. And these are good men. Now, we should, I don't know if you could understand to count your blessings, because I know churches that have been praying for years and years and years and years and years for a pastor, and nobody's come. And God has blessed us. And if we knew, and the people of Hilltop knew, and the people of Brightway knew, and the people of Countryside knew how to be a good steward of their pastor, these pastors could not only... uh, stay here for another quarter of a century, but have a fruitful ministry uh, with you that remain uh, with them all those years. So you need to learn, and I need to learn how to be a good steward of a pastor, because I'll be a member here. But, um, and so these things here is just some great advice. So last year, number one is be loyal to your pastor. Number two, love your pastor. Number three, respect your pastor's calling. And number four, pray for your pastor. We went through those last week. And you need to embrace this. This is part of your duty as a church member. I believe it's God's will. I believe it's part of God's perfect will that we be members of a local church the rest of our life. It's part of his plan. It's in the New Testament. 
And I believe it's also part of God's plan for every one of us to have a pastor in our life. Some need a pastor more than others. Some are very strong in the Lord. They can stand on their own. That's fine. But still, it's a, it's, it's a God-ordained office in the local church that he has said that we need. And the word pastor is synonymous with the word shepherd. Shepherd. And so we have, uh, go ahead and get that there. <laughs> if it's the president, I can understand you. Number five, obey your pastor. Now that's a word that kind of, it's like, you remember the old days we used to have chalkboards in public schools? Some of you don't. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But somebody would take their fingernails and just go down that chalkboard real slow. Man. And uh, it was like, it would get the attention of the classroom. But the word obey is like that to an American. Uh, Sometimes our American culture gets in the way of us uh, conforming to what the Lord says. This is a Bible word. When you're in the military, you've got to obey. Uh, your superiors. I was in the army. Many of you were military men, some ladies too. You have to obey them. Whether you thought they were right or wrong, you had to obey them. When you grew up in your home, you had to obey your father, whether you thought he was right or wrong. When you go to work, you got to obey your employer, whether you think he's right or wrong, you got to obey him. And notice what the Bible says here now in Hebrews 13, verse 7. It says, Remember them which have spoken. I'm sorry, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. So your attachment to them is a spiritual one. The soul is the spiritual part of your being. Your relationship to a pastor is a spiritual one. He's watching for your souls. He's trying to help you in the spiritual realm. Okay, you have a doctor. He's trying to help you in the physical realm. You have a dentist. He's trying to help you with your teeth. All right? You have a mechanic or whatever. And he's trying to help you with your car. You have a pastor. He's trying to help you spiritually. He watches for your souls. The soul is the spiritual part of your being. The soul can be saved. That's why we go soul winning. And your soul can pant after God and know God. And just take the word soul sometime and search it out in the scriptures. It's the spiritual realm that you live in. And a pastor helps watch for your souls to see how you're doing spiritually. So it tells us, obey them that have the rule over your submit. Yourselves, for they watch for their souls as they that must give an account. <clears throat> a pastor is going to give an account to God someday for you, for the church, for the condition of the church. And uh, it's a holy calling. Um, in, uh, that's why it tells us in uh, the book of Colossians 1 and verse 28, Paul uh, talked about his ministry. He says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, listen, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the vision. 
Uh, he knows there's going to be a presentation someday. And uh, I don't know how it's going to work. Faith Bible Baptist Church of Eden, New York, come forward. I don't know what's going to happen. But there's going to be a presentation. And the preacher here says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is serious business. The church is serious business. There's going to be a presentation. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And there, there's going to be an accounting given by those that rule over us, and we should obey them. Verse number 17. Now notice the end of the verse. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. It would be unprofitable for the church if the pastor is filled with grief. Have you ever noticed that anything you do in life, if you have joy, it just makes life a lot easier? If you enjoy your job every day, what's the old saying? You never work a day of your life. If you enjoy being a wife, that's a lot easier than the wife who does not enjoy it. Right? If you enjoy being a husband. That's a, and so it would make sense for me as a husband to say, boy, if I could keep my wife happy and give her joy. See, joy produces something according to the scriptures in us, and that is what? Strength. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is thy strength. If a man has joy or a woman has joy, and no matter what they're doing, that joy gives them the strength to keep doing it. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, joy. But boy, if a person's grieved. I was talking to the guy over at Dollar General. How you doing today? The owner. I, I know him a little bit. He says, man, not good. I said, what's up? He said, I said, you're, you're working the cash register. What's up? He says, I've got three employees. He says, everybody wants to come in here and work for $18 an hour, work the cash register, not stock the shelves. They want Sundays off. They want weekends off. They want holidays off. And uh, uh, they only want to work part-time. He's not having any joy. I've been praying for him. I have been this week. I said, God, please send him some good employees. Because he's not enjoying that. I mean, that's wearing him out. But if he ever got himself all kinds of good employees over there who are stocking shelves, taking care of customers, and uh, running the cash registers and everything, he would have more joy. That joy would give him the strength to go to work every day. We all know this is true. Same thing in the church. If you can give the pastor joy and not grief, so every, every church member either gives joy or grief. Determine, as a good steward of your pastor, I'm going to bring this man joy in his life. Because it's not profitable for us, the verse says, if he's grieved. 
I'm going to give them joy. Number six, don't try to tell your pastor what to preach. Boy, that's, that's, that's something else right there. That happens all the time. You should have said this. Why didn't you say this? Why don't you preach on this? Don't tell them what to preach. The old timers used to say, don't mess with my preaching. They used to say that, don't mess with my preaching. And they used to say, listen, God's going to tell me what to preach and when to preach it and how long to preach it. Uh, and you're not. Don't mess with preaching. That is a sacred calling between them and God. And this is where your faith needs to come in, and you need to pray, God, give him the message that we need to hear. Give him the message we need to hear. Give him the message that we need to hear. So don't mess with his preaching. Number seven, pay your pastor a living wage. Now this one here is an interesting verse in 1 Timothy 5 and verses 17 through 18. Now not every church can do this. There's some churches so small... The pastor has to be bivocational. That's all over the America. <clears throat> we understand that. But if it's possible, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 5 and verses 17 through 18, let the elders that rule well be worthy, counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So if it's possible for the pastor to be full-time, that's a lot better than being bivocational. I really respect, but I also feel for those men who have to be bivocational out there. They're working five days a week. They're tired as all can get out, and then on the weekend they're trying to be a pastor and make visits and counsel with people, and uh, that's some tough stuff. And so try to take care of the pastor. I'm not preaching this for myself. This church has done very well taking care of me. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, also in verse 13, it says this, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And the labor is worthy of his reward. So I want you to pray. pray. I, let's pray for countryside that they'll be able to support Pastor Ben Shutt full time someday. So he doesn't have to drive the bus five days a week and all these other charters that he's doing and because, uh, man, that guy's a go-getter. And it would be a wonderful thing to see him use his time for the Lord and not having to drive a bus around. Pray for Pastor Brent Gullo. Uh, I've told him that, say, look, when you come up here, we want to take care of you for the first year. We don't want you to work in any way, shape, or form. We want to try to give you a good wage. I don't know, know if our church can do more than one year. But it would be nice for them to get in, get settled, get into the ministry, and uh, really get that church going out there. But after the second year or the third year or whatever, hopefully the congregation will grow, the stewardship will grow, and maybe there will be the uh, uh, funds to help them uh, be in the ministry full-time because it, it, it's, it's tough to be bivocational. 
But I want to encourage you, wherever, whatever church you belong to, try to do your part uh, to make sure that somebody can just stay in the presence of the Lord. As it says in Acts 6, that the, the, the early leaders of the church said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They didn't want to be interrupted with anything. Somebody needs, Somebody in our life needs to be in prayer and needs to be in the ministry of the Word of God. Needs to know, needs to know what the Bible says. Uh, needs to teach doctrine and, and principles and practical things for all of us so that uh, we can kind of have a little shortcut where we don't have to learn everything the hard way. Now we can say, oh, I learned that in church because that guy is farther ahead of me in life and that guy's the farther ahead of me in my walk for the Lord and so he's teaching me things that I need to know now that he learned when he was back here. And that's how it, it goes. We keep passing on the knowledge from generation to generation to generation. Our country is hurting today because of a lack of knowledge of the Bible. Not because we know too much Bible. That's for sure. Our country's hurting. Uh, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's what one of the prophets said in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. And you know, we don't have a lot of churches anymore where you can really hear a solid message from the Word of God that contains the milk of the Word for the babes and the meat of the Word for those that have been Christ for a while. A lot of this is fluff and music and more music, and then after that, let's have some more music. And people go home from church feeling good, inspired, but... But their soul is famished. They haven't been fed. And it hasn't given them spiritual strength to go on. Number eight, build up your pastor's reputation. There's always going to be the world, the flesh, the devil against them. No pastor is going to be a friend of this world. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of people tearing him down, tearing him down, tearing him down. Don't you be the one that tears him down. I want to encourage you to be the one that uh, builds up your pastor's reputation. Uh, and don't allow others to tear him down in front of you. Take a stand. Take a stand. Because that is very destructive to a church. I can think over the years of many that used to attend here, but they heard something bad about the church, they heard something bad about me, and they just walked away. They didn't get the facts like the Bible says we should, right? Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame to him. And there's sometimes where people say bad things, it's just the, the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And even in the church, good people can say bad things about the church or this or that or this sermon or what he said or the pastor. And, and it might not affect them. It might not affect the criticizer, but it might poison the, the one who heard it. it. might poison their spirit. And a lot of people have left over those things over the years. <laughs> Why go there? Pastor Cole's no good. So-and-so told me that. I'm serious. That's happened many, many times. And to this day, they've never come back. Why go there? The guy's no good. So-and-so told me that. And uh, 
You know, we talked about rewards recently, and there goes the prophet's reward. You might as well kiss that one goodbye. All right? If you're the type that bad-mouths pastors and bad-mouths other pastors and evangelists, missionaries, righteous men. Jesus, I don't know if you knew this was in the Bible or not, but Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 41, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. What is that? I have no clue. But it's something. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. There's some good men in church. There's some good preachers, good pastors, good prophets. It says, he that receiveth them. That word is the same word we use for receiving Christ. He that accepts Christ as his Savior. And we need to say, hey, there's no perfect pastor. There's never been a perfect pastor. But this is the one God sent me. I'm going to accept him. I'm going to receive him. I'm going to defend him. And if you got something bad to say about him, stay away from me. Because you would not believe how many people have left church over that. And I mean in any church you go to. Any church you go to. We uh, are warned in the scriptures in 2 Peter 2 and verse 10 and Jude verse 1 and 8. It talks about these filthy people who don't hesitate to speak evil of dignities. That's America. That's all you hear on the radio all day is people speaking evil of the president, the vice president, the speaker of the house, the senators, the representatives. It's just open, you know, it's open field, it's open game. But that again just shows how far America is from knowing the Bible. There was an angel named Michael, the archangel, who durst not bring against Satan a railing accusation but rather said, the Lord rebuked thee. Why? Because Michael was in heaven that day, before Satan's fall, when he saw God anoint Lucifer as the anointed cherub that covereth. And Michael, the archangel, from that point on, would never say an evil thing about him, even though he became so corrupted. David, Man alive, he, he went down there one day when Saul, his, his sworn enemy, who became obsessed with killing David, they're in war and God causes a deep sleep to fall on Saul and all of his army, Saul's kingdom. David's up on the hill there seeing him sleeping and he goes down with his sword and he cuts off his skirt. And David was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, it says his heart smote him, that he embarrassed that king. His heart smote him. That he embarrassed that king who was trying to kill him. Had completely gone to the devil. But David was there when Samuel had poured oil over the head of Saul as the first king of Israel. And David said, you know, God anointed him. God will take care of him. 
God anointed Lucifer, God's going to take care of Lucifer, I'll tell you, if you've ever read the back of the book. And if God has ordained or anointed, I mean, I don't think Pastor Cole's quite as bad as King Saul got. And I don't think he's quite as bad as Lucifer's gotten. But boy, we've we got to watch out what we say. Say good things about Pastor Barron. Build up his reputation and don't tear him down in front of anybody and avoid those who are tearing him down. Don't be a part of that. Build up your pastor's morale, number nine. Now, pastors aren't babies. Like I said, I've never preached a sermon like this in 39 years. Pastors aren't babies. I'm not up here whining and crying and saying, oh, you feel sorry for me. No, not at all. But they are humans. They are humans. And we're supposed to build up their morale. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 38, it says, But Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in hither, thither, encourage him. And he shall cause Israel to inherit the land. Encourage him. That's what God said to Moses. He said, Moses, you're about ready to leave. Joshua is going to take your place. Encourage him. A couple chapters later in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse number 30, um, verse number 28, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. He's the next leader. He's never led before. Encourage him, strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So build up the pastor's morale. Encourage him. If he looks down sometime, encourage him. God's using you, pastor. Maybe you can't see it, but God's using you. God's speaking to us out here in the pews. And he's working in our lives. Keep it up. Be faithful. Build up your pastor's wisdom like Jethro did in Exodus chapter 18 and verses 14 through 26. This is number 10. Build up your pastor's wisdom. What does that mean? Now, there's a difference between wisdom and criticism. <laughs> there's a difference between wisdom and sarcasm. All right? <laughs> there's a... There's a Wisdom is biblical counsel. And uh, Jethro was looking at Moses one day out in the wilderness. And Moses was sitting on a rock. And all day long, people were coming up to him with these little trifles. All day long. They had the little problem here and a little problem here and a little problem here. And, and Moses was trying to uh, take care of the whole congregation, about three million people. Jethro, his father-in-law, is looking at this. And he comes up to Moses afterwards and he says, um, what exactly are you doing? And he says, well, I'm trying to hear all the people's problems, trying to help me. He says, now listen, he says, you're going to wear yourself out if others don't help you. And so what you need to do is find 70 men who are filled with the Spirit, who are wise, who hate covetousness, have no attachment to money, they're not going to be bribed, he says, you let them take care of the little matters. And then let the congregation bring to you the biggest matters. 
And then it shall be easier for you. And that's the only time the word easier is found in the Bible. Is when the congregation helped Moses and took some of the load of caring for the people themselves and said, okay, we're going to help care for the congregation and we're going to take the big matters up to um, Moses. Now, if you got kind, if you got wisdom like that for Pastor Barron or Pastor Gullo, you know, or Pastor Schott or Pastor Lewis or something like that, that's different. If you say, I really believe this is from God. And this will help the ministry be more fruitful. But he doesn't need to hear, who painted the ladies' room that color? You know, or something like that. He just, just, just doesn't need that stuff. And it's fine. Build up your pastor's leadership. Number 11, build up your pastor's leadership. How? By cooperating with them. That's the best way. You know, we were at an <clears throat> ordination service yesterday. I think there's nine pastors there, two evangelists. And I, I, as they were speaking, I, I heard a little bit of a theme <clears throat> about pastors who are discouraged. And what are they discouraged over? In their mind, at least, they're saying, nobody's helping me. Nobody will help. I have to do everything. You know what I want to say today? to this church. This church has been a help to me since the first day, 39 years ago. And we've been able to do what we have been able to do because we've had so many helpers. And I've said this before, and I'll say it all my life, I have never done anything alone. From day one, God gave us good people who helped and got things started 39 years ago, right from the first day. Now, there have been times where we could have used more help. But you take a look at Vacation Bible School coming up. There's usually 60 to 70 people involved in that. And I always tell Rebecca, who runs the church, <laughs> my daughter, what should I do? Oh, we don't have anything for you to do. So I just stand around here looking stupid during vacation Bible school. But that, I can't tell you what that, bless my heart, the things we've gone into prisons, we've gone into nursing homes, we've gone into, you know, out soul winning and run buses and so many things. We planted four churches and, you know, we're supporting 150 missionaries and everything. And it's just because so many people are doing so much. I've never had Elijah syndrome. Never. I've never had Elijah syndrome. Elijah syndrome. Remember him? I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm it. I'm all you got. And he said, I got seven thousand people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. I got your replacement already picked. No, we need to build up your pastor's leadership. I love it's one of my favorite stories. I'm almost done. Nehemiah 2 and verse 18. Nehemiah is one of my favorite stories about... Anyways, God lays on Nehemiah's heart a vision. God does that. He doesn't tell a committee. He doesn't tell a congregation. 
He tells one man. He tells one man, this is what I want you to do. And then that man shares it with the congregation. And they say, you're nuts. No, they don't. But sometimes, that's how churches are. But in Nehemiah, God said, Nehemiah, I want you to rebuild the walls and the gates and remove all the trash around Jerusalem. It's a reproach. Seventy years it's been a reproach to my name. Can you imagine if this church was just had trash all around it, weeds and, you know, no paint peeling off or whatever? Can you imagine if people driving by, what would they think? They would think, boy, their God's really alive. No, they'd say, what? what are they, who are they tell me about God? Can't even mow their lawn. Well, Nehemiah comes back after God shows him the vision and shares it with the men. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Isn't that precious? One man says, this is what God showed me to do. And the other man said, let's rise up and build. Let's rise up and build. I love that. Just church planning has been so, what an adventure of faith with God. What an adventure of faith. I mean, Countryside, we began the Countryside Baptist Church March 2020. That's when we, began. we opened it. I looked at Ben Shutt. He looked at me. I said, brother, COVID's here. What do you want to do? And he said, let's start. Let's start. Hallelujah. And man, that, that's just, it's just been a blessing. God is building His church out there. And praise the Lord. You know, we picked the worst time probably in history to start a church in America. God says, I'll show you I'm greater than that. And start bringing people in. It was all God. We don't even know these people. I got a list of names at home. If I read them to you today, you'd say, who are they? It's all the people that have been attending out there that you don't know. I know them. And it's been precious to watch. Come to church and listen, number 12. I can't tell you how much that means to a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or children's church worker if you just come. And sometimes your presence is a ministry to other people. You know, when they see you in church, you, 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 maybe you didn't speak a word to them all day, but they left and say, hey, so-and-so was in church this morning. Wasn't that great? And it encourages them. It encourages them. It encourages uh, the pastor, too, when uh, you uh, show up. It really does. Come and to church and listen. We had a vacation Bible school out at Countryside about a month ago. And the first day, 112 people showed up. First day, we're out in the sticks. Did you ever go to Perrysburg? All right. First day, 112 people show up. And a lot of them were adults, too, and teens. But by the end of the, we only had three days, but we had about 60 different children come to vacation Bible school. And hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I asked, brother, I said, is that what you were expecting? You know, not really. You know, our faith was a little smaller than that. But that's what God did. 
course, you need to follow the Christ that your pastor preaches. That's number 13, and that's the most important part on uh, this. Be careful. Be careful with your pastor. You know, three times in the Bible it says this, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Smite the shepherd. Smite him with your mouth. Smite him with your words. And we've seen people scattered who are never coming back again. Never coming back. You don't want to smite the shepherd. You want to be a good steward of the shepherd. I didn't preach this for me. I did preach this for Pastor Barron, for Pastor Lewis, for Pastor Shutt, for Pastor Gullo. These younger preachers, I think it's all their first time. They've, some have been missionaries, and, but I think it's first time being senior pastors for all of them. I started when I was 26. 26. What in the world did I know? The only thing I knew was God called me. And so I, I had to do it. But I want to encourage you to uh, just remember, receive a prophet's reward. God sends you a prophet, a preacher, accept him, receive him, and just say, I'm going to get behind. In closing, it's the church's responsibility. Just like it's my responsibility to take care of that lady right there, my wife. No one else. I have to intentionally, day by day, intentionally, on purpose, be a good steward of my wife. And I've tried for 42 years. And I believe scripturally you need to intentionally, intentionally as a church member, as a congregation, take care of your pastor. Take care of your pastor as we go forward. Well, let's take our psalm books and let's uh, sing a song in closing. Page 592, I love to tell the story. Boy, we got some opportunities coming up at the Cataraugus Fair this week, the Eden Corn Festival Parade, Daily Vacation Bible School, to tell the story. Just summertime, people are out more. I love to tell the story. That's the vision of the pastor of any church. Help him by telling the story. Get the word out. Amen. I don't know if there's anything on your heart you'd like to pray about at the altar this morning, but the altar is open as we begin to sing. Maybe you know somebody that needs prayer, somebody needs healing, somebody needs salvation. Maybe you want to pray for the pastors, pray for our country. I mentioned last week First Baptist of Elma doesn't have a pastor. First Baptist of Marilla doesn't have a pastor. Folsom Dale Baptist doesn't have a pastor. Cherry Creek Baptist doesn't have a pastor. Uh, East Concord Community Church doesn't have a pastor. Pleasant Valley Baptist Church doesn't have a pastor. New Hope Baptist Church closed down. First Baptist Church of Gowanda closed down. Uh, Richardson Road Baptist Church closed down. Now I wonder if maybe some of that, some of it maybe, I, was, I wonder if it was congregations didn't know how to take care of their pastor. And they just said, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm done. But I wonder if congregations were tra trained scripturally how to take care of the pastor. They might have said, I'm never leaving here. Let's do something big for God. Take good care of Brother Schwanky down there in Huntsville, okay? Alabama, he's a good man. He's a good man. He's been here. He's preaching in this pulpit. He's, your pastor is a good man. You go back and take good care of him. 
all that you can do. All right, let's stand. Page 592. If you need to pray about anything, come. God's house is a house of prayer.